As we move into this Sunday's message uh, and, and into this new uh, sermon series called Do Not Fear, we're going to explore the things that make us afraid and see what the answer is in our hearts and our lives. And I hate to do this, but it's spoiler alert, it's Jesus. Amen? You know, there, there are all sorts of, of things that, that scare us, things that are rational or irrational. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists have a list of the things that uh, tend to scare us, and they've put, compiled over 400 items uh, that they consider fears or phobias. And we know them by various names. We use them throughout um, our common speech. There's things called acrophobia. Anybody have acrophobia in here? Or the fear of heights? Anybody? Yeah? Those people are, are, are sitting on the lower levels yeah. <laughs> in here. And then there's arachnophobia. Yeah? I, I remember as a child watching the movie Arachnophobia. And I, um, any spider, any good spider is a dead spider to me. I'm no longer afraid of it. I'm just angry at it for no reason at all. I just get angry when I see a spider and I knock it out. And then there are, there's other fears that you may not have ever heard of, but uh, evidently there are real fears that people uh, deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. There's the, uh, there's hippopotamonstrosis quipideliophobia. It's one word. Um, that is the fear of long words. True. True. Look that up. Wow. I think it's one of the longest words, and it's the fear of long words. You know, some psychiatrists, that, that's a sick joke, isn't it? <laughs> like, what are you afraid of? No! <laughs> I don't want to say it. <laughs> and then there's other fears that we experience, situational fears. I remember one time taking uh, the youth group to uh, 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 our fall camp out. And this particular time, I, I took them all the way out to southeastern Oklahoma. Out, there, was a, there was a state penitentiary out by uh, Robber's Cave. And just the name Robber's Cave kind of gives you a little bit of the willies. But as I was driving out with this van full of students, there was a van behind us, and we were all excited about everything that waited in store for us. I saw, I saw the state penitentiary as we drove by, and I realized lightning struck. I told them, man, I'm sure glad that we're able to continue this fall camp out even after there was an inmate that escaped. I just said it. I just said it. I threw it out there. I thought it was going to be a funny five-minute joke. That funny five-minute joke turned into the best prank of my entire life. I'm sure I'll have time later on to tell you the whole story, but by the end of day two, I had kids grouping together praying <laughs> that God would save us from the inmate that was on the loose. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you right now, once the prayer group started to form, I, I went ahead and I told them that it was a joke because I don't believe that we should pray to God about jokes and stuff like that. But, but I did put it into it at that time because it's somewhere, I'm not, it wasn't there, it was sometime before then, I probably crossed some kind of fear line in, inside of the students. And to this day, there are students here that are still mad at me for that, for that joke. Do you remember that? Do you, okay, all right. So there, there are moments that grip us with fear. As a matter of fact, we're motivated by fear. 
A recent study by Chapman University states that 59% of Americans uh, live in fear of a loved one dying. 55% are very afraid of potential economic collapse. 49% are very afraid of biological warfare in the near future. And 54% are more fearful than hopeful about what lies ahead in 2023. Fear is everywhere you look. And there are many people that are struggling with fear all around us. As a matter of fact, there's an old observation that the, the greatest fear people will experience is the fear of public speaking, and the second greatest fear is of dying. And so most people, majority, statistically, are more afraid of being the one that gives the eulogy than the one that lies in the casket. And I have to agree with them sometimes. But fear motivates us. It motivates our personalities. It, has anybody heard of uh, the Enneagram personality test? Anybody out there? Enneagram personality test? Okay, there's some people out there that know it. Maybe some of you have even taken the Enneagram personality test. And it's so amazing. So many people love this test because it is so accurate. But the reason it's so accurate is because it believes fundamentally in that test that, that everyone has an underlying fear. And if you can identify the underlying fear in a person, then you can also identify, right? You can also identify something else in them. You identify their deepest desire because their deepest desire is correlated and linked to their deepest fear. And if you can identify their deepest fear and their deepest desire, then you can understand what motivates them. I'll give you an example. If your deepest fear is, feel, is the fear of being worthless, then your deepest desire is to add value. And then that means that you're motivated to be an achiever. Any achievers out there? Yeah? No. Ooh. <laughs> no achievers. Great. <laughs> if your deepest fear is a being is the fear of being unwanted, then your deepest desire is to be loved. And so your motivation is to be a helper. Or if your deepest fear is missing out, then your desire is to be satisfied and you're an extrovert and, and you wanna be spontaneous and you're an enthusiast, uh, enthusiast because you, you don't ever wanna miss out on anything. So many people really enjoy this test because it, it is so accurate to their personality. And so it's easy to understand why our personality can be even shaped by the things that we are most afraid of. There was a recent TEDx talk um, by a guy named Tim Ferriss, and he, he wrote this quote down, or he, he spoke this quote. He says, you should write down your fears instead of your, uh, writing your goals because most people are motivated more by their fears than by accomplishments. As we have already learned, many of us are not motivated to be achievers in this room. <laughs> but it stands to reason that it, you want to accomplish something to get, to subdue, to get away from your fear. And Christ's legacy, I got to be honest with you, fears are everywhere you look. The news cycle and the politicians have realized this. 
Uh, there, there's an old phrase that says, if it, if it bleeds, it reads. In other words, if, if they can tap into something that is fearful, if they can tap into something that is scary, then you're going to read it and you're going to consume it. You're going to grab a hold of it because you don't want to be scared any longer. And so somehow understanding it, knowing it subdues the fear inside of us. But really what it really does is it feeds fear into us all the time. Uh, and, and that's true because I'll tell you what, if I watch uh, uh, news for a prolonged period of time, I find myself anxious about everything. Everything that I see, I go to the store and milk's $7 a gallon <laughs> and I get scared and eggs are double the price and all these things that are happening all around me and I'm, I'm worried about uh, retirement funds and I'm worried about the you know, uh, blowing up oil pipelines and I'm worried about all these various things in life and really, as believers, we're not created to be slaves to fear, are we? We're created for something greater. We're created to live our lives free in peace of heart and peace of mind, in reliance on God, guided by love and God's spirit that determines the, 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 our path. Not living from day to day trying to avoid the problems, but instead living from day to day, trusting in Jesus. I like to, I like to live my life not, not running away from the things that are, make me afraid, but chasing after the thing that brings me hope and love and sound mind, amen? And that's why God has not created us to live in, in fear. Second Timothy tells us, first, uh, Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-disciplined. Wow. You weren't created to live your life in fear. You're created to live in freedom. You're created for bigger and greater things. Not to avoid something, but to chase after God, the giver of all good things. As a matter of fact, we find out that when we, when we love God, that our fears are subsided. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't even want us to have, have fear inside of our, our Christian lives. We are to rely completely and totally on God's love that pushes out every fear. Because the truth is, is that fear is a window into what you really believe. Think about this. Fear is a window into what you really believe. Many, many years ago, centuries ago, people were afraid of the weather because they, they didn't have weathermen. They, they couldn't explain the weather. They didn't understand the seasons. And so they were afraid of it. And so, because of their fear, they worshiped false gods. They believed in false gods because they were afraid of the weather. And so many years later, here now today, you and I worship what we believe in. We worship what we believe in because we are afraid of it. We're afraid to be alone. And so now in our lives, we worship anything that promises us to bring us connectivity 
and relationships. So we worship social media. We're always connected because we don't ever want to be alone. We don't want to ever miss out. We don't want to ever, we don't want to ever feel separated because that is the worst fear. And so we worship social media. We worship anything that feels like it brings us connection. But I have news for you, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't bring the answer and it doesn't subdue fear, does it? Because the truth is, is the more engaged you are, the more we find out in America that people are dealing on a day-to-day basis with anxiety. As a matter of fact, a quarter of Americans have uh, uh, reported in this past year that they deal with anxiety disorder. 25%, that's 93 million Americans are dealing with some kind of anxiety disorder. Ladies and gentlemen, that tells me something, that we have to not only understand that 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 fear grips us outside of God's love, but that even Christians deal with fear. As kids, this shows up, and you can see it all the time. Whenever you put a kid to bed and you turn off the light, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of monsters under the bed that are going to get them, right? A lot of kids are afraid of that. But as, as adults and even as Christians, we realize that the that fear controls us at times. The, the fear ultimately as a Christian comes into play when we are doubting God's promises and presence in our life. Because if you really know and you really believe in God and you understand that his presence is right there with you and that you're his child, then we have nothing to fear because we have everything to gain in him. Amen? But when we allow fear to come into our hearts and lives, then it reveals that we have doubt in our hearts and minds about God's promises and his presence. So I want to ask you today, what are you afraid of? What makes you scared? What do you think about whenever you get scared? Is it the idea that... that, uh, that you're, when you're riding with your teenage daughter, you're going to lose your life? That's a legitimate fear. I understand. I understand that. Are, are you afraid of losing your job? Are, are you afraid of dealing with a, a loss of a loved one? Are, are you afraid of uh, legal situations and troubles in your life? There are many things that grip our hearts. And this morning, I, I want you to understand that, I'm, that, that there is there's a difference between being concerned and, not, and, and being fearful. There are plenty of things that can cause us concern. But we are not dominated by fear as Christians. So as we move into our text this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles or on your phones to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to begin to read in verse 1. Our principal text is Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. But as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background on what's happening in this passage of Scripture and in Isaiah in general. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and as a prophet, 
He, um, many scholars believe that Isaiah was the most prolific and most poetic and uh, m- most verbose in a good way. And he, he gives us incredible insight into, into the mind of God, into salvation, and what uh, the messianic promises and, and prophecies are. And so Isaiah is such a valuable book to understanding and uh, in, in the Old Testament of all what God promises us. And there's so much to discuss in the book of Isaiah, but I want, um, I want to make you aware of a few things, maybe that you're not aware about Isaiah, maybe about Isaiah personally. Isaiah uh, grew up in a, a middle to upper class home. He had a really great education, and uh, he ended up getting married to a prophetess that was uh, great in her own right, and they had two children, and their children's names were uh, meant to prophesy over the nation of Israel. And uh, Isaiah uh, 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 was gifted in not only hearing from God, but able to, to speak on God's behalf or listen to God and give God's explanation to, to the Israelites. And as we can see, Isaiah in chapter 42 God lays out a case against Israel. God says, Israel, you have moved away from me. You have abandoned me. You've turned your back. You've run away from me. I didn't go anywhere. You did. And because you did, I tried to call you back. I tried to bring you back to myself. But you still didn't turn to me. And so, guess what, Israel? I have allowed calamity to come to you. I've allowed violence. I've allowed war to come to you in an effort to bring you back to me, to awaken you, to make you wake up and realize that you're going in the wrong direction. Many people have a hard, uh, uh, hard time understanding that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament because they feel like the God of the Old Testament is so warlike and so hard and so violent and then here you have the God of the New Testament that is so full of love and mercy and, and, and peace. How can they be the same? But, but if you really look at this text, you realize and you find that the same God is calling out to Israel, bringing them back, trying to, trying to bring them back through grace because if they are going in a certain direction, he's trying to bring them back before they go off the cliff and, and forget about them to, totally and completely. He loves them and he's calling them back. And because he allowed these things to happen to them, he allowed them to go into captivity, into uh, Babylonian captivity for over 70 years. Now, here in chapter 43, God turns the corner. And he says, although you've been doing all of this, although you're the one that left me, although you have forgotten about me and you've turned your back, I'm coming, I'm coming. He says, before I get there, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead in my notes. I wanna wanna share with you something else. In Israel's time of being blessed, they began to be distracted. Distracted by all the blessing and the privilege and allowance that God had given them. Isn't it easy sometimes to turn your back on God when everything is going well? It's, it's not exactly saying, God, I don't love you anymore. I, 
I, I want to do something else over here. I want to love something else. Sometimes it's, God, I love you, and being distracted and just living your life and forgetting to honor God with your decisions. And this is really what happened to Israel. They forgot about their first love. They moved away from him. When times were, were blessed, when things were good, and the farther they got away from him, the more it troubled God and the more he desired to pull them back in. Just the other night, on Thursday night, my, uh, my kids' school, they go to a public school, they threw a fundraiser. It was amazing. There was hundreds and hundreds of people on the playground in the school. It was the evening time, uh, just as uh, dusk, and it was just about to get dark. And it was just the simplest thing, they had food trucks, pine teachers in the face, um, and uh, silly string on the playground. It was, it was a lot of fun. But as we were standing in line as a family uh, in the line to buy some silly string for my kids, I found out something. I looked over and my, my son is missing. He is standing over there. He's distracted by other kids spraying silly string. And he has forgotten to move along with the family. I had my eye on him. And so I just decided I wanted to see what would happen. And he would walk off. And he looked around, and then all of a sudden, I saw the countenance on his face change. He looks around, and everybody's taller than him, and he can't see his family anymore, and he gets scared. And he starts pacing back and forth like, oh, no, dad's going to get me, and I'm lost, and somebody else is going to get me, and I don't know what to do. And I saw him, the thought process in his mind, what do I need to do? I need to talk to a teacher. I need to go over here. And I need to look. And then all of a sudden, he says, Dad! <laughs> and in that moment, I parted through the crowd and I grabbed him by the shoulder. I said, come on here. And everything was right in his world. Isn't that incredible? When we cry out to our father in that moment, all the fear is gone. I want you to know this morning that my eye was always on him. He just didn't see where I was. And that's exactly what Israel, what happened in Israel's life. God's eye was on him, but they took their eye off of him. You see, Isaiah chapter 43 verse one says, but now, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's the kind of God that we serve, ladies and gentlemen. He says that no matter what you're going through, I'm going to be with you. But I want to show you something. First of all, do not be afraid because you are his. Somebody say amen this morning. See, the God of all creation created you. You are his. He has called you by name. He knows you. He knows every one of you. He knows your situations. He knows your troubles. He knows your motivation. He knows your fears. 
And because he's outside of time, space, and matter, he is already in your future working out it out on your behalf because you are his child. He created you. He called you. He drew you. He loves you. And somebody in here needs to know that this morning because you're living your life and you're afraid because you don't realize that you're his. But maybe, just maybe, there's people in this room that you're afraid because you're really not his. You haven't given your life over to him and you're not really a child. And if we're gonna be honest with ourselves and others, the only reason that we are not dominated by fear is because we know that we are his. That's the first reason that God himself gives for his people to not allow their lives to be dominated by fear is because we are his. But if you're not his, then your life is dominated by fear. If you're not his, then your life is controlled by searching for something or someone that will drive out the fear in your life. You'll gravitate towards finances because you think that finances will be able to uh, fix every situation and circumstances in your life. But as you all know, finances aren't the answer to fear. Family's not the answer to fear. Because as we all know, there are people in our family that disappoint us, that trouble us. Many times, family is the thing that breaks down the very first. And we're afraid of the problem and the relational issues inside of our family. Anybody ever let, have a friend let them down? <laughs> Amen. And so as you can see, Fear dominates us when we are not his. Ladies and gentlemen, the most and first thing that you should know if you are troubled by fear is to remind yourself that you are his. We are his children. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 tells us, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. You see, not once does God ever dismiss the danger that surrounds his children. There's a difference between rational and irrational fear. Irrational fear is that monster that lurks under the bed for the child. But there are rational fears. There is real danger that surrounds us all, all the time. A fear of losing a loved one, a fear of losing a job. As a matter of fact, most fear comes down to one single fear that dominates our, our mind and our hearts. It's the fear of loss. Every fear boils down to a fear of loss. But ladies and gentlemen, I wanna tell you something, that when you give your heart and your life over to Christ Jesus, you can't lose. You can't lose. He is yours and you are his. So God never dismisses the idea that there's rational fear. There's danger all over us, but we are his child. Secondly, I wanna point out the fact that we should not fear because he is with you. 
When you go through deep waters, verse 2 says, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Ladies and gentlemen, God tells you that he will be with you no matter what you're going through. There's very real danger in this world. As a matter of fact, God tells us that we will go through danger. Some people have the misconception that you and I, when we give our hearts and lives over to Christ, then everything gets rosy. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? I don't know what God, kind of God that they serve. Because whenever I gave my heart and life over to Christ, I still experience trouble. I still experience problems, trials, situations. At first, as a young believer, it might surprise you. But as you walk in maturity in your faith, you will begin to realize that those moments of adversity give God an opportunity to shine brightly in your life. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if some, something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed in all the world. There's real things to worry about. There's real problems that you'll experience in your life. And loving and trusting God doesn't take those things away. Not once did God leave you. Not once did he let you get burned. Not once will he allow you to be drowned and overcome by life's situations and trials. But instead, if you put your hand in the hand that holds you, if you trust in him and you believe in him and you turn your heart and your life towards him, then he will not ever let you down. So the thing that drives you shouldn't be fear. You should be driven out of love because perfect love drives out all fear. You see, fear is actually an issue of focus. Fear is out-of-focus faith. That is good, isn't it? Somebody write that down. Fear is out-of-focus faith. Because when you begin to allow your heart and your mind to, to consider the fear, to, 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 to focus on that thing that worries you, that situation, trouble, that trial, what happens? As you stop looking at Christ, Faith focuses on Christ instead of the crisis. There's some of us that are dominated by the fear, not because we don't have a relationship with God, but because we can't keep our eyes off of the problem and put our eyes on Christ as a solution in our lives. When I was teaching my daughter how to ride a bike, one of the most fundamental things is you go where your eyes go, don't you? And we live in a cul-de-sac and my daughter's riding and I push her al along and she'd start pedaling and everything was going well and she didn't want to hit a mailbox, did she? 
We live in a cul-de-sac. It is the biggest, widest open street you can live in. But she, she stuck her eyes right on our mailbox. And no matter how far she turned, she still hit the mailbox until she could realize that you put your eyes on where you want to go. Ladies and gentlemen, there's some people in this room right now that you don't want to end up in the crisis. You don't want to end up in the danger. You don't want to end up in all that situation. And so you're looking at that situation, trying to figure it out, trying to understand it, trying to do whatever you can. No matter how much you love Jesus, you still end up right back in that situation of fear, controlled and dominated by the circumstance. But when we lift up our eyes into the hills for where we know where our help comes from, our help is in Him and from Him, then all those things begin to fade away, don't they? All those worries, all of life's cares, begin to come into focus when our focus is in our faith in Christ Jesus. Lastly, we should not fear because he will save us. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, from the beginning of time and before the foundation of the world was created, he had a plan and his plan has not gotten off track one moment. His eye has always been on you. He's always known your solution to your problem. And all you have to do is turn to him and trust him because he is not only has saved you, but he'll continue to save you and he'll save you until that final day if you just trust in Jesus. Acts chapter four, verse 12 reminds us that there is a salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Save the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, we can search for all things that would save us. We can read the best self-help books. We can try to save up money. We can, we can um, uh, go to counselors and pastors and, and, and find all the best teachings in the world. And we can take on meditation and all these things. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But when we allow those things to take place, take the place of the fact that Jesus is the, sol is the solution. He's the answer because he is the Savior then we've missed it all, haven't we? So today, I wanna to remind you, each and every one of you, that Jesus is a savior. He doesn't promise us that he's going to remove us from the situation. He promises us that he'll guard and protect and defend and be with us because we are his children. Would you stand with me all over this place? There's a very real danger this morning. And some people are really, truly dominated by fear. And for some of those people, 
It's because you've never trusted the Lord to be your savior. You're not a child of God. His presence doesn't walk with you because you don't walk with him. And so he isn't saving you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never trusted the Lord to be your savior, or this morning it's time to commit your heart and your life anew to him. I wanna give you that opportunity. With your head bowed and your eye closed, I just wanna pray with you. Heavenly Father, Lord, in this holy moment, I pray, God, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to move and work on our hearts and lives, drawing men and women to you, Lord, so that they would put their trust in you and overcome their fears. With your head still bowed and eyes still closed, is there anyone in this place that would raise their hand and say, Pastor John, I'm committing my life to Christ today for the first time or renewing my commitment to him? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to know that I'm praying with you. If that's you, I just want you to simply slip up your hand in this room, looking all over the room right now. Pastor John, I'm committing my life to Christ. I'm looking. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I'm looking. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the hand that was raised this morning. Lord, I pray, God, that as they commit their heart to, to you, Lord Jesus, that you would be their father and they would be your child. I pray, God, that they would fully trust you. And I pray, God, for each and every other person in this room, Lord, that they would be fully committed to you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The truth is, is that there are some people in this room that you're going through a situation and circumstance that does bring you fear. You're a child of God, but you got something that you wanna to give to him right now. I wanna encourage you right now, if you would just step out of your, of your seat and come down to the altar, we wanna have time that we can pray with you. We wanna pray with you about your situation and your circumstance that you're going through. Something that grips you, that something that is causing you to be fearful, that you need to give it over to him, that you need to trust him right now about. Oh, Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you, God, for giving us this opportunity to come before you and pray, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, on us. Lord, a grace that, that draws us to you, Lord, in times of crisis, in times of trouble, in trouble, in times of fear. Lord, in these moments, Lord, where our lives feel like they're consumed by fear, I pray, God, that you would bring our faith back into focus, placing it on you. Father, I pray, God, for these men and women, Lord, that are coming now, Lord, that you would do a work in their life. Lord, renew their mind, renew their heart, Lord, to allow their faith to be placed on you. Would you just grab the hand of the person standing on your right and your left? I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, as a congregation, Lord, with our hand in hand and our faith in faith, I pray, God, for each and every person in this place. Lord, that we as a church would be moved and motivated by your love and your compassion on our lives. That we would trust in you, O oh Lord to be our answer, to be our strong tower, 
Lord, that we could run, into, run to you, God, in times that we need help. Lord, that instead of motivated by fear, Lord, that we'd be motivated by your love. Lord, instead of running away, Lord, I pray, God, that we would run to you, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that you would hold captive each and every one of our fears, Lord, and although we may walk out of these doors and back into the trials and situations that we left, Lord, I pray, God, that something would change, something would break loose, and Lord, although our situations may not have changed, we know and we can speak in confidence that something did change. Lord, you're at work in our hearts. You allowed our hearts to change. You allowed our hearts to become in focus of the love that you have for us. Lord, we give everything to you. Lord, and we ask that as we walk out of these doors, that we wouldn't be a people dominated by fear. Lord, we'd be set free because your perfect love drives out all of our fears. In Jesus' name, amen.